the Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Fantastic. Fantastic. We had a poke bowls for dinner tonight, and they are that's one of the best meals on earth that you can have. One of the healthiest and one of the tastiest. Poke bowl. Tell me more. Yeah, you have um, brown rice and all kinds of vegetables and like raw ahi tuna. And it's all mixed together. You put some hot sauce in there. And it's kind of an, there's been some restaurants that have opened up in recent years. I think it's Japanese street food. But anyway, it's just fantastic. So I'm happy. Not with the game, of course, but, you know, we don't control that. We control what we eat, but we don't control what the owners do on the No, well, we most certainly do not. So, how are you doing, Bruce? Neither do they, apparently. Yeah. Well, I'm a little nonplussed, David. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, another road game against a tough team, another loss, and uh, different kind of loss, the Oilers... Did not blow any leads in this one. They got blown out of it in the first period and then uh, spent the rest of the game trying to skate uphill to pull themselves into it and gave at least a decent showing of themselves. But by then, the the scoreboard was against them. And, uh, yeah, they uh, hit a couple posts. And, you know, they just weren't going to get the kind of finish around the net that the other teams seem to have these days. And, here we are again, fishing another empty net goal out of the end of another losing effort. It's three out of three in this trip. Yeah, with the Oilers, it's like everything bad is happening all at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. We'll throw in a conundrum at the end as well. And because it was a pretty tough loss, we'll go with two bad things each. But first of all, what was your good thing? Yeah, I- Looking it over, I think I'm going to go with uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who I thought had one of his more inspired efforts in quite some time. And uh, he ha- he just had one assist to show for it and one penalty for, what the heck did they call that thing anyway? Interference when he hit, uh, uh, who the heck was it, just after he cleared the puck, uh, about 30 seconds after Zach Hyman had his face smashed against the glass with... Nothing called, but anyway, Ryan had he showed some pushback in that play, like he brought it, and I didn't mind it, even if it did get called. Ten and four in the faceoff dot, and he when the Oilers were on the ice, or when he was on the ice, the Oilers had a twenty-three to twelve advantage in shot shot attempts, and they you know they uh, uh, they had it um, you know possession going on, and I just thought he uh, bounced back from what I thought was a particularly poor game for him last time, where I think you singled him out as having it had a tough game, which he did. And tonight, at least, he was uh, about the best <clears throat> Oilers had to offer in what was overall a, a shoddy or at best erratic effort. Yeah, we I, sometimes I mention that I think face-offs are just one battle on the ice. They're significant, but there's one battle. And But you can sometimes mm-hmm. see the battle level of a player in terms of his face-offs. And I think that's indicative of tonight that uh, with Nugent Hopkins' 10 wins and the four losses. So, um, yeah, there was, some, there was some good battling from a number of Oilers players. And my good thing is the comeback in the third period, Bruce. Overall, 
in this game, the grade A shots were uh, 11 for the Oilers, 10 for the Canes. Oh. And that's surprising to me. I thought, man, the Canes just had so many. But they had so many in the first period. And the, the subset of five alarm shots, the most dangerous shots, were seven each. But the Canes mm-hmm. in the first period had one, two, three, four, five, six. Six in a six row, in a row four of them went in the net. Four of them went in the, ro- in the net. And the Oilers had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in a row in the third. And one of them went in the net. One of them went in the net. Oh, God. Yeah, That's well, the they call it score effects, David. And the uh, Oilers came on after the Canes sort of fell back trying to protect the lead. And they, the Canes were pretty sloppy themselves. This actually was a pretty, I thought, pretty terrible hockey game. Uh, very poor hockey from the Oilers. A lot of poor hockey from the Canes. Very poorly officiated game. I just didn't find this to be a very good product, to tell the truth. I and, did I did like that comeback, though, Bruce. Yeah, I, yeah. I just, I, I know it's, they just they were they were desperate and they they played desperate and reckless hockey and it seemed like almost like um like i know a lot of it might just be the canes hanging back and being tentative but the owners seem so tentative like when i watch them play now it's like people use the words fragile it's not a bad word actually they just expect disaster and they and they get it they they're coming out and they're just they're they're just playing tentatively is how I see them playing. I don't think it's a lack of effort or focus or intensity. It's they're just tentative. They're they're afraid they're going to lose another one, and then it happens. And then in the th- so in the third they just shook that off. They just played where they can play. And uh, Zach Hyman, you know, he had f- to start the third period within the first four minutes. He had four five alarm shots just all on his own, just going hard to the net, and he finally scored on one of them. So um, McDavid was McDavid was so fired up. He was trying so hard to get his team back in that game, mm-hmm. and they came close. And um, I'm just going to segue into my bad thing because, you know, right at the end of the game, the Oilers are they're still down two. It's four, there's four minutes left. And McDavid uh, is in the, in causing havoc and chaos in their end, and he gets slashed three times, or three times, once right on the hands. Right on the hands. There is no penalty, and then he picks up. He, you know, it was a penalty. It, he cross-checked the guy, but it was it was. I backed into him. That guy. It was it was marginal. Compared to the slash McDavid took on his hands, Bruce, mm-hmm. it was a marginal call. But this this game was dominated early on by the Hurricanes. But the referees did not give the Oilers a chance to get back into this game with the way they re- with the way they officiated it. And it and it and and it just seems when something goes wrong for the Oilers, it's disastrous because it leads to a goal against. And what we saw mm-hmm. here was two goals against. The third, the uh, fourth goal and the fifth goal, um, where there was there were obvious penalties, especially the the uh, the fourth goal. Oh, McDavid, he just gets totally uh, tripped up behind the net. He it might have been a slew foot. It was just such an obvious penalty, and they and it and it leads to a jailbreak rush down the other end of the ice, mm. and they score. Um, 
you just can't have that where there is an obvious penalty and um, leads to a goal against. Then on the then the fifth goal, it's just it's just it's astonishing how how things multiply against the orders and end up with a puck in their own net. Kulak's stick gets grabbed and held by a Canes forward going by him. And not only did, so not only when the puck comes out from behind the net, passed out, Kulak is unable to play it because he doesn't have a stick. It's been taken out of his hands by the Carolina forward. But it's tangled up in the goalie's stick in, in, um, in is it Pickard by then? It's tangled up in Pickard's stick and it knocks Pickard's stick right out of his hands. So he would have otherwise made that save, I think, but he didn't have his goalie stick for him to, to make the save and it's in the net. So there's another penalty where if the refs are calling it and it was, and uh, it, it was a little less obvious than the slash on McDavid or the slew foot of McDavid, oh. but oh. it was still a penalty and, and it was, and it just, there's just this multiplier effect with the orders. Any little mistake they make this year, mm-hmm. It's going to be multiplied by infinity because that's what a goal against represents in a tight game. It's just horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the one on the slew foot that like McDavid went behind the net from, uh, you know, sort of the bottom of the right circle. And, and the guy latched onto him with his glove then and just kind of hung onto him all the way behind the net to the other side. And then he kicked his skates out from under. It seemed pretty apparent. And they missed out and the puck went right up the ice and scored. And I saw just three, I, I joked early in the game that the refs had set the double standard early uh, as opposed to setting the standard early. And that was when they called a hooking penalty on Hyman for coming back, lifting the guy's stick. And I think they ruled he got a stick in on the guy's hand, sort of on the follow through of the stick lift. And they called hooking. Okay, fair enough. It's hooking. Then on the penalty kill, the Oilers go down two on zero, Nugent Hopkins and Ryan, and the guy sort of grabs Ryan from behind. Then he brings his stick up and hooks him around the neck on a two-man breakaway, and somehow both refs completely missed that. Uh, Then there was a a play in the uh, second period where Hyman basically got his face bounced right off the glass uh, and... Nothing happened. There was a scrum along the boards, and uh, play went over in the other corner. And Nugent Hopkins nailed the defenseman from the side, shoulder on shoulder, uh, just after he shot the puck. And that was a penalty. Like same sequence. Oilers in the box. And then in the third, that double on McDavid getting slashed, and then them calling that sort of nothing play at the blue line where the guy backed into him and McDavid brought a stick up. I mean, it's to me, it's a defensive reaction. Anyway, he could not, like, he buried his head in his hands. Like, he just couldn't believe it that it happened yet again. That the refs called one thing one way and then didn't call it the other way. And it seemed to quite go on the other way. Now, the refs did call a couple of pretty chintzy calls on Carolina. I will say there were some makeup calls. But some of these individual plays where one got called and one didn't was just kind of shocking. And how incompetent those referees were. They should be forced to watch this game again and explain themselves to the league what they're thinking when they made this call and then didn't make that one or vice versa. Just the, terrible. The call against McDavid at the end of the game oh. is the orders would have been on the power play with four minutes left. And, and instead they're killing a penalty. It just it just yeah, it ended was, the game. That ended the game. Yeah, right that there. ended the game. So <clears throat> thanks. Good work, referees. Yeah. Thank you. 
Uh, and the Bruce, linesman, as Jer- uh, Jamal Myers pointed out, kept double clutching on the faceoffs, and including the one that led to the empty netter, by the way. But just there was no real flow to this game because you never knew when the whistle was going to blow or when the play was going to be allowed to start. Yeah. So I like Jamal Myers' work, by the way. I he's, thought he he's done very well. Very well. Uh, Bruce, what did you? What's your bad first bad thing? Yeah, you know, it's going to be, I wrote this to you before the game even started, Oilers' lack of institutional memory. And this is something that happened on a different team, different management, different um, different time, and yet the team rule that was instituted at that time was a good rule that they subsequently let slide, and that is the, this business of wearing or not wearing helmets in warm-ups. And it's a player safety thing, and we saw it again. We saw it in 2009, was it, when when uh, Corey Power Potter play stepped on Taylor Hall's face in the warm-up after Hall got wiped out by Laddie Smee. Weird stuff happens in warm-ups. There's a lot of pucks out there. There's a lot of guys out there. And even though they're not – nobody with malice of forest up, shit happens. And it happened to Taylor Hall, and it was damn scary. He had a huge deep cut in his face that caused him like 50 or 75 stitches. I can't remember how many it was. He missed missed that game and and a couple more because of it. And was lucky it wasn't way worse than it was. And the league yeah. or the team right away instituted a team rule: helmets worn in warmups, no exceptions. And then, I mean, this is why I'm talking about institutional memory, like. There was a good reason for that rule, and they let it slide, and they let it slide. And then tonight, there's Darnell Nurse out there in the pregame warm-up without a helmet, and a puck comes flying out of nowhere and nails him right between the eyes. Bang! I mean, you think, lesson learned, but the lesson wasn't learned by the team. If they set these team rules and then they just let them go away, I mean... Protect your players, and players protect yourselves. It's stupid to be out there without a helmet on in the warm-up. And it, it's, I mean, it's silly to be out there without a, without a helmet on in the warm-up. And Nurse took a wicked shot. He was all bandaged up. His nose was bleeding out of both nostrils. I mean, it surely did not help him play a strong game tonight. And for what? Like, what's the point? Anyway, it, it just seems to me... This is I'm I'm putting it on the team for not sort of just sort of sticking to it as sort of we really learned this lesson with that Taylor Hall incident. It's never going to happen again, which is what they promised at the time. Well, it kind of happened again. Yeah, it, I'm sure it was very discombobulating for the entire team and for Nurse in particular to have that happen. <laughs> it kind of throws you off, and it looked like the orders were shaken a oh. bit at the start of the game. They didn't come out with any kind of focus. Um, they just seemed. Again, I, I I thought the word tentative, and maybe that was uh, partly related to that. Bruce, um, my uh, bad thing, there was three goals in a couple minutes there, and I'm going to pick on the third of those goals. Um, there's, a, there's a couple players on this team, uh, Ryan McLeod, Philip Broberg, who have immense uh, skating ability, real talented hockey and can be, I think, players that can help winning teams in the playoffs. They can both develop into good players. But both of them um, at this point need to just play with more relentless 
intensity and and just will the game in their direction. They've got to make sure they win their battles. And on this particular goal, the puck goes behind the net and Roberg loses his battle. Um, then he loses it again. And in between that, McLeod loses his battle. And if either of those players had just physically stepped up and flattened a Carolina player behind the net instead of getting flattened or doing nothing. Put a shoulder in, yeah. There's no goal against. If McLeod had done that after Broberg got beat the first time or if Broberg did it, um, he, he, you know, you're going to get hit now and then. He got hit early, but if he had um, done it the second, puck protected or as Jamal Myers um, suggested, just slam the puck hard. You know, you're behind the net. It's chaos. You're lo- mm-hmm. You've been losing the battle up until now. Just ram it out. Get it out of there. And uh, he didn't do that. That lack of focus and intensity can cost a player an NHL career. I mean, McLeod's earned himself a, a, a decent contract here. But, man, he has he, – and he makes some nice plays. He made some nice plays this game. But he, he could, he's got to do more. To be a third-line center on a playoff team, you've got to do more. You've got to bring it physically. And he is not. And Broberg's the same. He has got to win his battles. He's got to make up his mind. He's winning every battle, and he's going to use his physical play to do it and bring himself into the game, and the same with McLeod. And that that goal against was caused by those two players failing to do that. Yeah, there's lots to like about Broberg's game, but I'm sure a lot of stuff seems to happen to him. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and something goes wrong, and before you know it, the darn puck is in the net or, you know, and it's, uh, I think it's just a matter of he needs to impose himself more on the game and sort of, you know, take command more. He's still looking like a, a kid out there, and this is now his third professional season. And uh, I'd just like to see a little more take charge out of the guy. Uh, maybe it's not in his makeup, and maybe it's not in McLeod's makeup for that matter. But uh, in both cases, it would be just nice to see a little bit more of an edge. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to take it anymore kind of edge, you know? Yeah. There's a – it just reminds me of he, – he needs to listen to the, that George Patton speech where <laughs> General George Patton just talked about how you – don't let the other guy do it to you. You do it to the other guy. You get after him. And uh, it's a famous Second World War speech. I'm pretty sure it was Patton who made it. And I think it's in that movie. They got to show uh, Philip Broberg that George C. Scott movie. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your second bad thing, Bruce? Yeah, I got to go, I think, with the starting net mining of tonight's game. And the Oilers needed more than they got from Stuart Skinner, who got a one night off, and now he's sort of supposedly rested and back in the net. And his night, like nurses, started inauspiciously when he uh, took a spill in the warm-up while skating off the ice and slid right into Carolina's side of the ice and nearly wiped out their goalie. That would have been a highlight for the for the ages. And as it was, it was just one of those here-come-the-Oilers moment. But he just never seemed to get settled in this game. And then once the puck started going in, I mean, here are the times of the Carolina goals in the first period, 9-17, And good night, Mr. Skinner, after four goals on 12 shots and a 6.67 save percentage. 
And I'm not saying that he should be expected to have all of those shots, but I am saying if the score is 2 nothing and not 4 nothing, maybe the Oilers have a snowball's chance of getting back in the game, but they just didn't get any big stops. And it's the same old story. I mean, 6.67 from the starting goalie. That is not a recipe for success. So, uh, and then uh, Pickard came in and he played pretty well. But by then the damage was done. And of course, Carolina backed right off and it was their turn to sort of play Keystone Cops a bit in the third. But uh, uh, by then it was just, uh, the hill was too steep to climb. The one goal, I mean, the first goal was the yield Californian you know, it, it bounced off, point shot bounced off two or three or four guys. And then finally, it's right for an open net. Like, that was just <laughs> terrible luck for Skinner and the Oilers' defense. And then the, then the next one is just another jailbreak rush against the Oilers where it's passed right through the crease. And then there's the Broberg-McLeod one. Who put one. that one in? I, I was almost thought that uh, it was, I mean, it was Ekholm with the absolutely brutal play in the offensive zone. Yeah, the turn talk to nobody. It's another 2-1-1 with Bouchard back, and they passed it through Bouchard this way, and then they passed it back through him that way. And by then he was sort of diving, and I wasn't quite sure if he no, knocked it, it in himself or if the Carolina player, guy yeah, yeah. chopped it in next to the post. Yeah. It was... Uh, Ekholm's rush up the ice reminded me of every single rush I've ever made in hockey in my career um, as a, as a uh, beer league player. Watch the puck the, the, go the other way in a hurry, eh? Well, because I, yeah, I just <laughs> rush in there and then I lose it. All right, then there's uh, the Harney, like the fourth goal was the one I thought Skinner really should have had. Yes. Needed to have, and he didn't. And, and I'm not sure, like it was, it was from a scoring chance position, so it's even... But you got to make that. That might have actually been close. You'll have to look at it. We'll we'll yeah. talk about whether that was on Skinner completely or not. But it might have been. Although DeHarnay just got whipped on that play too. Yep. So uh, not uh-huh. great from Stuart Skinner. Well, I'm, so, I'm going to give you a complete list of Oilers demon who didn't get whipped on at least one goal. <laughs> no, there. Yeah, That's I know. the list. <laughs> Here's the quote yeah. from General Patton. Uh, May 31st, 1944, talking to the U.S. 6th Armored Division. Quote, no bastard ever won a war by dying for his country. He won it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his country. (laughs) So that's what Philip Goldberg needs to take to heart Mm -hmm. is he's got to get after these other players. He's got to he's got to go at them and battle them. And uh, he's not doing it. And neither is McLeod, frankly. I mean, um, once, you, once you start to see it with McLeod, it's hard not to, to see it way too yeah. much. He just never finishes a check. Come on, man. Like, you're not, you're not in this league because you are Connor McDavid Jr. <sighs> you're in there as a third-line center. Zero hits and three giveaways. Yeah. That's kind of not what you want to see. And again, he made some nice plays in this mm-hmm. game. He yeah, really Kochetkov poke checked him at least once with a with a good play. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was in on the um, Ekholm's goal, obviously, on the the shorthanded mm-hmm. goal. Yeah. So um, anyway. 
Bruce, uh, we are on to our numbers. What is your numero? Yeah. Uh, I think inevitably the number is 5, 12, and 1. And here we are at the uh, crossroads that uh, many have identified as being U.S. Thanksgiving, where I saw something like 76% of the teams that are in a playoff spot now are in the playoffs at the end. Well, I mean, given you're starting with 50% from the first day of the season, it's sort of halfway towards determining who's in and who's out to go from 50 to 75. And there's obviously a lot of season left to play. I'm just going to dig up where are the Oilers in the standings. And I know they're a long way back. And I also know I can't type, and I'm sorry about this. Kind of like the Oilers in the first period here at the moment. I can't get out of my own way. And so standings, let's just go straight to the wild card version. And we have Edmonton in eighth. Uh place in the race for two wildcard spots and the two spots are at 19 points each and then there's two more teams at 18 and another one at 17 and the Oilers are way back at 11 so they're going to have to climb past four of those teams so it's not just a matter of hoping that Seattle or St. Louis goes in the tank for a while it's a matter of Oilers having to win games because they have so many teams to pass and eight points is already looking like a mountain, David. And every week, it's a mountain gets bigger. It's not like they're starting to scale it. It's like yeah, they're uh, lower in the valley than they were before, with less time to get out of it. They got to get hotter than a pistol, Bruce. And it's not. It's getting less and less likely that that's uh, going to occur. Okay, uh, my number is. I'm just going to go back to the rush goals against. At even strength, this doesn't count like power player shorthanded. But um, the Oilers gave up one tonight and did not get one themselves off the rush. And um, this season total is thirty-one to twelve at this point. Thirty-one to twelve. It's well, here, here's coincidental awesome. number for you, David. Edmonton Oilers goal differential on the season, 53-4-72 against minus 19, which is exactly the same difference as 12-31 to 31 on 5-on-5 five five rush goals. So all of their deficit, which is the third worst total in the entire league, but all of it can be traced specifically to uh, difference in performance on the rush for and against. And uh, that rush goal was the one where DeHarnay got whipped um, to the outside. And Skinner, uh, Skinner also got beat by a shot he probably maybe should have had. Which brings me to the conundrum, Bruce. How much of this is on the order's goalies? Like, what if we were to assign a percentage, what would we assign them in terms of um, this terrible start? Um. I'll say their share of it, and I'll weasel out of it that way because I think the, the whole no, you didn't team weasel a lot of it, Bruce. You has, still its, have to get. has its share of of the of the thing. Well, I mean, some people say goaltending is seventy five percent of the game, unless you don't have it, in which case it's a hundred percent. So maybe this, we'll have to put it between seventy five and a hundred percent. But seriously, the goalies are not getting a lot of help, but they're not also providing a lot of help. So. 
it's uh, it's a self-perpetuating uh, uh, mess in the defensive zone, and the goalies are are not putting out enough fires and providing enough big saves, and sometimes letting in soft goals, which obviously don't help either. I'm going to go with a 25% ratio for okay. four different factors. Yep, fair. Injuries, 25%. McDavid's injury being about 18% of the 25%. But Kulak and Ekholm's injuries, Ekholm has not been himself all year, really. Like, he's he has not been playing well. And um, so injuries, 25%. Um, terrible defensive play, 25%. Weak goaltending, 25%. And bad luck at both ends of the ice, both shooting the puck and players stepping on sticks and falling over, referees not calling penalties, bad puck luck um, overall. Deflection, hitting a guy in the shaft of the stick and dropping down right in front of him in the blue paint. Like happened yeah, tonight. yeah, like happened yeah. tonight. It's, I, it's, I, I got to put, there's got to be uh, bad shooting and bad execution in the offense is some part of that mix as well. Because they are not scoring the way that they were expected to score. Yeah. All righty, Bruce. Okay. Next game is uh, Washington Friday afternoon. So. Yes. Yippee. <laughs> Yippee Kaye. All right. We'll see what happens it, then. It is. Yeah. One o'clock mountain time. Very unusual start time and for all those people that just can't wait to see the next Oilers game uh, if you work normal hours it might be a little tough so set your PVR because you don't want to miss it uh, another Oilers game you know they've been entertaining us like, I actually think they're going to bounce back I think tonight's third period was the start of the team getting pissed off at itself which is where it has to start and starting to say, this is embarrassing. We're embarrassing ourselves. We need to be better. We can be better. And they actually were better. And it obviously didn't. It was too late to pull this game out. But they actually were at least fighting and bringing the play in the third period. And, and uh, it's got to start somewhere. And it's going to start within a game somehow. That something's going to turn around in their in their play. I mean, McDavid I I in saw. the third period was totally different from McDavid in the first two yeah. periods in this game, for example. Yeah, I thought I saw that same thing. And I think, he, again, um, he didn't look particularly injured tonight, although maybe the shooting isn't there still. Um, that He just was firing the puck so well last year, and he just did not see in that aspect of his game this year. Man, did he ever dig in? He had a kind of a Bobby Clark kind of game tonight, and I really – especially in the third period, and I really like that. So I agree with you, Bruce. Just what it's going to take is that kind of Bobby Clark intensity. <laughs> They're going to have to break a few ankles. <laughs> I can tell you that there was no ref in the <laughs> NHL in 1974 that would have called Bobby Clark for interference with four minutes to go in the third period. Oh, God, yeah. They would have been afraid to call it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Bruce, that's even there. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.